You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Argyle. I certainly hope you dance as well as you dress. There's only one way to find out. You and I, we're not so different. Agent Argyle. Little help? Hold on. Phenomenal, sweetie, but what happens next? It's called a cliffhanger, mother. Ellie, it's called a cop-out. Alright, everyone, you were just listening to the trailer for Argyle, and the story is as follows. Reclusive author Ellie Conway writes best-selling espionage novels about a secret agent named Argyle, who's on a mission to unravel a global spy syndicate. However, when the plots of her books start to mirror the covert actions of a real-life spy organization, the line between fiction and reality begins to blur. The film is starring Henry Cavill, Bryce Dallas Howard, Sam Rockwell, Brian Cranston, Catherine O'Hara, Dua Lipa, Ariana DeBose, John Cena, and Samuel L. Jackson. It is directed by Matthew Vaughn and written by Jason Fuchs. Here to join me today for this podcast review, I have Giovanni Lago. Let's dance! We also have Josh Parham. Hello, hello. Emma Sasek. Hello, Agent Argyle. And Dan Bear. Are you ready to meet the real Agent Argyle? And I want to apologize to the community. That is hopefully the last time you will ever have to hear that trailer again. Ah, so for the purposes of this review, we are going to be discussing spoilers. So if you don't want to know the identity of the real Agent Argyle, I suggest that you um, keep listening because there's actually no need for you to go see the movie. Uh, It's not worth your time. (laughs) Oh, God. Uh, Yeah. So Agent Argyle, directed by Matthew Vaughn, creator of the Kingsman movies, and <laughs> Jesus Christ. Okay, two hundred million dollars, one hundred forty minutes, almost one hundred forty minutes runtime here. A very, very interesting marketing strategy for this film in concealing the identity of Agent Argyle. Everybody's wondering: Is it the cat? Is it Henry Cavill? Is it you know this person, that person? Who is it? Who's the Agent Argyle? Well, we now know the answer to this, and the answer is. Not as exciting as I think some of the memes uh, turned out to be for this one in the end. So let's just get into it, I suppose, because believe me when I tell you, I think there's a lot to talk about here just in regards to what not to do in today's era of blockbuster filmmaking, especially when it comes to something that goes out of its way to deliberately try and develop a franchise. But I'll leave it to you all. Emma, we'll start off with you. What did you think of Agent Argyle? Argyle? Whatever the hell we're calling this thing, Argyle. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I will preface it by saying that I am quite a big fan of the Kingsman series. Um, They... I didn't expect myself to be a fan of those films, um, but when I watched the first one um, way back when, uh, f- number one, it made me fall in love with um, Taryn, so that's a great thing. Um, but second of all, it was exciting, and y- it packed a bunch of punches. You know, you never really knew what was going to happen. It was cheeky and funny, 
all the things that you would kind of hope that like a, I don't know, a fun spy action secret service type of movie would be. Um, and so I, I can't say that I had necessarily some hope that maybe Argyle would be like that, mainly because I wanted to saw off my head after seeing the trailer 50,000 times in theaters. Um, however, I'm happy to report that it is nowhere near as fun and exciting and uh, great as those Kingsman movies. So that's great on me for sitting through that. Um, I mean, are there entertaining aspects of this film? Yes. And when you list it off, who is in the cast? I mean, it's a pretty stacked cast and has some pretty awesome, talented people in there. However, this film is just like constantly trying to outdo itself in terms of the reveals, the twists, the double crosses, the shock value. And I just felt myself getting so exhausted and so like, I just didn't care after a certain point of watching it because I, <laughs> I just was like, okay, let's, let's just get, find out who the Argyle is. Let's just get through the end of this film, please. Let's save us this runtime. And it just keeps going. And so this runtime is so unnecessarily long. The the antics are too much after a certain point. And yeah, it just kind of becomes a chore to watch it. Um, I did laugh at some moments. So it has half a star for that. <laughs> and like I said, a pretty fun cast to look at. But otherwise, it was just just too much. Okay. Giovanni Lago. How about you? What did you think of Agent Argyle? I keep calling it Agent Argyle. What did you think of Argyle? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So it starts off and it's bad, but like intentionally bad. You know, it's very spoofy of like the spy genre and all its tropes and feels like watching like the opening of an Austin Powers movie almost. Yeah. Yeah. And Henry Cavill's wearing this stupid ass costume, which the way they describe, I just want to say the way they describe him in the book, it's like when, if you see him wearing that fuck ass costume is the most insane thing ever, especially with that haircut, but sure. Okay. He's dancing with Dua Lipa, stupid CGI stunts, you know, John Cena just yanking people off a motorcycle. Cool. And then you're like, this is bad, but intentionally. And it's good. I'm enjoying it. I'm having fun. Then the movie starts. And then it's just bad. Like, it's genuinely bad. Uh, Bryce Dallas Howard is charming, you know? And and you see how she meets Sam Rockwell. And I feel really bad for Sam Rockwell, who has probably broke his back in five places, like, trying to give the film an energy to keep going. But as kind of just previously mentioned, this movie is really long for a film that really shouldn't be and it feel like every minute of it and that energy can only last so much of just rockwell doing fun like uh line readings and just what he's doing with his face and the stunts and by the train sequence on i just had to feel it and i was like "Ooh, this is not gonna be great at all because even the action which I know some people criticize Matthew Vaughn films like Kingsman sometimes and like, oh, the action's juvenile. I I compared it to like Family Guy where sure it's juvenile, but like I'm entertained. You know, it's like eating dessert. Sure, I can have a little bit of this. But even his action sequences are probably some of the weaker stuff he's ever done. It, It feels incredibly watered down, overly edited. Can't wait to talk about the use of CG in this film and just how this movie costs $200 million because 
you watch it and you don't get a sense at all. Yeah, it's it's really bad. I, I was just baffled by how much I was unengaged with it. And even every plot twist that's Keith mentioned, there's a lot that feels like a bit annoying. After like the third one, you're like, okay, we get it. And it just keeps going and keeps going. And I think that's just the overall theme with Argyle is just, it just keeps going. And we really wanted it to stop. And it doesn't till it actually does. But not really because it's the end credit scene. So <laughs> there's that. But uh, overall, the, I feel like the few moments of like quips or line readings that occasionally are funny, especially from someone like Catherine Harrow, who is nothing against her. She she did her job, you know, enjoyed her presence. It just does not make up for the entire experience at all, which is very painful. <sighs> Josh Parham. Yeah, um, (laughs) (laughs) I think that if I have to really come up with how to really best describe my feelings about this movie, I think it would be exhausting. This movie just feels so relentless and trying desperately to entertain you in a way that I just found to be very, it's like very try hard. It's, it's really throwing a lot at you to be like, this is supposed to be a very fun sequence that you're enjoying, but it feels so effortful in doing so that I really had a hard time connecting with it. I will say that I think there are moments where it is kind of fun. I think that just by the natural charisma of some of these actors that does bring you in a little bit, but man, looking at the whole picture, I did have a bit of a struggle kind of getting into it. And as has already been mentioned, it's so long. It feels so overstuffed. And yeah, when we get to the twist, it just feels also very underwhelming because I, this is the kind of twist in a movie. I also don't really like because it makes the preceding events not make any sense. If you don't know the twist, which I think is just bad and lazy writing. So it kind of has like the veneer of an entertaining action movie, but it really, really falls flat in building up those materials to make you truly engaged with it. So it, it does end up being rather disappointing and, and as I said, underwhelming the more you kind of leave with it and more you stick with it. And it's sort of fun in the moment, but afterwards, yeah, it just very much starts to take a nosedive in appreciation. And yeah, not a not a particularly good movie, I have to say. I remember when I saw this with Dan Bear and we walked out of the theater, all I could think about internally as he, I, and uh, uh, Giovanni walked out was, I swear to God, if Dan tells me he liked this movie, I'm going to yell at him in front of everybody. <laughs> With that said, Dan Bear, what did you think of this movie? <laughs> so um, the half-life of the entertainment value of this movie is really something. <laughs> because when the movie started, I was enjoying it. And I'm like, wait, wait this movie's kind of good actually like what what what's going on here because the trailers obviously made it look like an unholy mess but the opening 10 15 20 minutes is a really fun like spy spoof almost like it felt very much like the lost city how it was like sort of ribbing the action adventure genre while also being like a pretty good version of one itself. But basically every minute after that train fight with Sam Rockwell, just being a 
perfectly hilarious, like, ungentleman spy. <laughs> like, the exact opposite of James Bond. And he's great and so much fun. But for every minute after that first meeting, the entertainment value just, like, slowly ticks down. And by the time it was over, I was just... Like Josh said, I was exhausted. I mean, this is a movie that basically like straps you onto the back of its motorcycle, speeds away at over 100 miles per hour, holds a gun at your head and says, are you having fun yet? This is fun. And it's not. We're being held hostage by this movie. <laughs> That's not fun. It, it is a movie that deeply thinks it is fun, and it is putting a lot of effort into seeming like it's fun, but that effort sort of automatically makes it not fun. And I appreciate a lot of the ideas behind the action sequences in the movie, but as the movie goes on, they become more and more reliant on CGI that just does not look good or believable. And by the time we got to the the move the third act which goes on for forever this movie is so ungodly long what the fuck there are like two back-to-back -back action sequences they're basically back-to-back -back, and they're so overloaded with CGI that I just sat back in my seat and I was numb to the whole experience because when the CGA was so blatant, I was like, I'm just not watching anything real. There are no real characters involved. Obviously at this point, no one's going to die. So whatever. And I guess this is a clever idea to have Bryce Dallas Howard figure skating with knives on her shoes. On no, her no, slick. not clever. Not clever at all. <laughs> like, I guess maybe from a certain angle, it's clever. But like the actual experience of watching it, I was just like, oh, OK. Wow. She did a spin jump and shot everybody. Great. Well, I, you try doing that, Dan. I, I mean, I, I, like, I would like to see Bryce Dallas Howard try doing that, actually. I'd like but. to see Tanya Harding try to do that. Yeah, yeah. I was about to say, she really turned it to Tanya Harding Mar triple axel. Marco Robbie, let's I get her out Tanya 2.0 right here. <laughs> like, it's just like, and then, you know, even after leaving the theater, it just like, it fades so hard. Like, you know, I was having a really good time with this in the beginning, especially the opening five minutes scene. And then just like I the enjoyment just kept dropping and dropping until when I wrote the review, you can read it on the website. And I will only say that, like, in the couple of days since then, my opinion of this movie has only lessened <laughs> because the further away you get from it, the more you realize just, ugh. That movie just so desperately wants everyone to believe that it's a fun time, that it's not fun. And it's so hurtful. <laughs> so much like Dan, for the first act of this movie, which is very much the scenes that we've been fed in the 
ongoing endless trailer uh, that's been playing in front of seemingly every movie for the last like six months. Henry Cavill, Dua Lipa, Ariana DeBose, John Cena. It's intentionally winking at the audience and letting you know this is cheesy. So there's a self-awareness to it that I was having fun with. And I was like, okay, like this is clearly like a prologue of some sort. And this is not the real movie. And this is going to lead us into probably the real story with Bryce Dallas Howard based on what I could tell from the trailers and stuff. And so, you know, for the cheesiness of it all, I was like, okay, okay, okay. Like this is like this is okay. Like we're, we're, we're in okay territory here. Then it introduces Bryce Dallas Howard. Okay, I'm glad that she's the protagonist, it seems, of this movie. I like seeing her being given this kind of opportunity. That's pretty neat. Sam Rockwell gets introduced on the train, beard, all bearded up, and like Dan said, looking like not your typical James Bond-like spy, just like an everyday average guy. And we love Sam Rockwell. I adore Sam Rockwell. I think Sam Rockwell is one of those actors like, uh, like a Paul Giamatti who just has the ability to elevate pretty much almost anything that he's in this is his biggest challenge to date <laughs> because that train sequence where all of a sudden he just starts like fighting these people who are trying to attack uh bryce Dallas howard i was still with it i was still like oh this is awesome sam rockwell is having a grand old time and he's charming as hell as he usually is and it's just like a lot of fun watching him uh do these action scenes i wonder how much of this he's doing himself versus the stunt double it was a good time. From then on, oh my god, this movie just progressively got more outlandish, dumbfounding. The runtime, you like extremely felt it, I felt like by the end. And then there are these moments of slow motion where I'm like, oh my god, just please ramp it up already. I don't need to see every action shot in slow motion for the love of god. Who do you think you are, Zack Snyder? It is hindered by awful CGI, embarrassing performances, bizarre writing choices where it just seems like they're trying to out-twist the previous twist, and the amount of times the, the word twist itself is even used in this movie was giving me a headache. So yeah, not even the ever-reliable Sam Rockwell uh, could charm his way into forcing me to give a shit about who the real Agent Argyle was past a certain point in this movie. I, I wish I could go back to not knowing, because honestly... The time before where everybody was speculating over who it was was more fun than the movie itself, in my opinion. Matthew Vaughn is a filmmaker who I've loved the first half of his career. I even liked the first Kingsman movie. I would even go so far as to say I liked the last one with uh, Ray Fiennes a little bit. There were some issues I still have with it, but I liked it for the most part. G Golden Circle, not as much. Um, but, man, it just seems like he is... In a, in, a, in a space right now where just the pretentiousness is so high, especially because of the post credit scene that reveals that this is all taking place within the Kingsman universe. One of the most eye-rolling end credit sequences I can recall in quite some time. And on top of all of that, just, I don't know about you guys, but the fact that this is like originally an Apple in-house production, or at least I think they acquired it, I don't know. But it's like, but it's, you know, it's a streaming film that Universal is distributing to theaters. This reminds me so much of like those Netflix movies that cost $200 million, but no one ever 
you know, remembers what they are. It's the gray man. Yeah, or Red Notice. Yeah. You know, it's like these movies don't exist. They don't make any, like, impact on the cultural zeitgeist, mostly because they don't go to theaters. Well, here's one that is going to theaters, and yes, people are talking about it. Yes, it has the big movie stars and stuff, but it has that same hollowness to it that just doesn't get you to care and and, and represents literally everything I hate today about modern blockbuster filmmaking in terms of how it is shot, how it's done in post, what the overall visual aesthetic of the film is. It's a very, I, I think, just distractingly ugly film to look at at times, mostly due to how much of it is shot on green screen. And yeah, I, I don't want to go on too much of a rant here in my opening thoughts and spill everything, but let's uh, let's start off with the obvious, shall we? Uh, the real Agent Argyle turns out to be, shocker, Ellie Conway, played by Bryce Dallas Howard in this movie. Lame. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily. R. Kyle. And I mean, why is will... that spelled wrong? <laughs> like, I get, like, if she wanted to change, like, the spelling of her spy novels, like, okay, whatever, it's cute, you're trying to do something, fine. But, like, why is her actual last name that they made up for her spelled with two L's if you're just <laughs> going to pronounce it Kyle? <sighs> I, I mean, I, I said this before we started recording. Like, I'll give them this. I didn't. I didn't expect that. But then once it did happen, I said, oh, I was like, I was really looking forward to like some cameo. Like what if just James, uh, Daniel Craig just like showed up that randomly or guess. like some <laughs> James Bond person. Like that would have been kind of fun to have that kind of crossover. I was like um, expecting it to be Catherine O'Hara, actually. <laughs> that would be fun. I thought it was going to be the cat. <laughs> I was hoping it was the cat too the entire time. The cat would have been fun. <laughs> yes. All of these answers are just way more fun especially again when you've been repeatedly beaten down by a trailer where the film's entire marketing shtick has been who is it who is it you gotta go see it to who is it and you go see it and then it's just like no sorry screw you although it's spoiler alert that like if you've been following the production on this film at all and read the initial casting announcement you know who it is like, Which I forgot. So that tells you how much that slipped through, like, the consciousness <laughs> of, like, anyone. <laughs> no, it, it's a brilliant marketing tactic on their part, and it has had people talking. I'll give them all the credit in the world for them assuming that nobody would be smart enough to look up those old uh, those old news uh, headings and also, like, just the tweets that were put out about the casting and, you know, the log line for the film. It, it literally told audiences – it's about a writer who suffers from amnesia and she used to be a spy. It's like, it was right there. <laughs> you know what it is, though? This movie, with the marketing campaign, it feels like the movie was made by AI around the marketing campaign. Like, right, um, like they told ChatGPT, 
write a movie based on a marketing campaign that will get people into theaters. It's completely soulless. I mean, when I watched this movie, I kind of felt that way too. I felt that way in a lot of regards. I felt that way with you know with regards to the casting, like in terms of just the names of the people that they got involved in this. I even felt it's hard to say that you feel bad for somebody, but like I just feel like this was also like a misuse of Henry Cavill. He has no character. He doesn't do anything other than a few action sequences. And it's like it just feels like we're being duped as an audience. Anybody who is going into this movie because Henry Cavill is literally head of the poster, top build. It's like this. He's barely in the movie. (laughs) Listen. Listen, he winks at me a few times, and I say that's a job well done, so yeah, I'm I, fine. <laughs> yeah, not complaining at all. Although yes. I will say this, though. The, um, the, the, the little editing trick that they do in this movie, where every time Bryce Dallas Howard blinks her eyes and it alternates between Sam Rockwell and Henry Cavill in the action sequences, I actually thought that was pretty interesting and pretty cool to watch at times. I thought that was amusing. I thought it was a really good way of like having her be a writer and like seeing her creation in the real world and squaring the real world with her vision in her head. I thought that was really clever. And I actually think it's even more clever with the twist, like because they're literally the same person. (laughs) But uh, that was it. I also actually, um, when they went to London, kind of jumping ahead a little bit, and she was trying to you know, write the next chapter and you kind of see it play out a little bit with him versus her and Sam Rockwell. I didn't mind that either because I thought, oh, okay, that's kind of fun to, again, incorporate that writer uh, persona of hers. And then that just kind of, they just dropped that entirely. But also like then the, the plot of this movie is so, I, I, I get it. Listen, I, I'm not here to say that every blockbuster film needs to be based in some form of reality. Okay, like I I understand there are things in the Mission Impossible and John Wick movies that are completely asinine. But this idea that her books are somehow (laughs) like skewing so close to reality that they're actually unfolding events as they're like taking place. And this would trigger a crime syndicate to have to actually like go after her. I just found this to be so so hokey to the point that I was like, I, I can't even buy into this. I, I can't take this seriously. And there's an element to the film that doesn't want you to take it seriously. It does want you to kind of sit back and just have fun with it. But then why the excessive runtime? Why the dramatic stakes of this relationship between her and Sam Rockwell? And like, it does feel like Vaughn is trying to straddle the fine line between trying to get some actual earned emotion out of the story versus his typical, you know, Kingsman style action and humor. And that balance just never works. Yeah. It's frustrating because it's really starts out as like a spy spoof, like not as silly as like an Austin powers, but they're definitely spoofing these, you know, conventions and tropes and even, you know, the, the archetypal characters that we see. But then as soon as it reveals who the real ancient Kyle is, it wants to just be a spy film. 
and not a spoof at all. Like it literally stops being funny. The jokes disappear from the movie after that point. Right. Cause it's funny because Bryce Dallas Howard in the beginning is an everyday average person caught up in unusual beyond her yeah. control circumstances and seeing somebody like react to all of this crazy over the top, like stuff is fun. And she's got the cat with her. Like I said, the first 15, 20 minutes of this movie, I was like, you know what? If this is what it's going to be, I'm down with it. This is this is fine. And it's not, you know, it wasn't like, I don't know. I, I Like, I didn't have this feeling of, oh, this is offensive and awful to my brain, or at least not quite yet, because <laughs> I still thought we were in that sort of satire spoof, like, sort of mode. And, yeah, I agree. Once they ditch all that... And they want us to take her seriously as like an action heroine who can defy the laws of physics. <laughs> I can't. That that, uh, that scene with her skating on the oil with knives on the bottoms of her shoes I mean, I, is the I, dumbest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> I mean, I just like, I would also like to know like what is the... <laughs> What is the physics build of stainless steel knives on crude oil? Like, yeah, yeah the viscosity of the oil. I like, think, how what, does it freeze up for it to actually skate across? I like, you know what? I, it is one of those like sort of only in the movies things where you're just like, you know what? Don't question it because then you wouldn't have the movie and you wouldn't have fun. But the thing is that that sequence is so loud and garish and overly CGI'd that it's numbing. Like by the, you were not even in it for like half a minute. And I was already like, okay, is this over yet? Like, which it shouldn't be. It should, some, something like that should really be fun. But like this movie, like it just, particularly in that scene, it felt like it was being really, really forced fun. Like by crank up the music. It's just, Matthew Vaughn at this point has become a one trick pony. All his action scenes look and sound like this. And they, the more they rely on CGI, the less fun they are. Like there is, I I'm convinced that there is nothing physically there in that. Like I'm convinced that that whole scene is just all CGI because nothing about it feels real and yet you want me to take this character's journey very seriously because you've stopped with all the spoofing if this was still a spoof and like sam rockwell was commenting about how unreal it looked or something like that then it would work it would feel part of the tone of the movie and it would be fun but it wants us to be like oh my god this is so cool but there's nothing to grasp onto well i think the problem with that and this is something that, you know, is a departure for Matthew Vaughn in some way, is this is a PG-13 film. It's not rated R. And I was wondering if straddling that fine line between, okay, I still want, like, the protagonist to violently kill people, shoot and kill a bunch of people, break a lot of necks, things like that. But we're going to have it completely bloodless. And we're not going to... You know, do it like we did in the Kingsman movies, for example. I, I, I think that there's like a middle ground that he's trying to find here. And I think that that is the problem. You need either need to go one way entirely with it where it is so over the top and so like just 
not horrifically violent, but violent, like in a in a comedic sort yeah, of way, com- yeah. comedic comic violence, yeah, right. Yeah. That 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 then we kind of like buy into the tone of it a little bit more. Where here, I was like, it, there's something really off putting to me watching a character such as this who we're supposed to genuinely like, and she's just straight up murdering a lot of people. <laughs> You know, it's funny you mentioned that because I was reading about I think it was originally going to be R and Matthew Vaughn was talking about like making the changes so that way it would be PG-13. And I think that is one of my most glaring issues with it is you can tell through every action sequence, especially like some of the ways he has to like cut around the violence that you're like, this was probably like an R-rated spy comedy and it got chop down so that way it can fit into a PG-13 rating because it's just so or maybe it's just overly edited. I don't know. When you think of like the Kingsman like church sequence, whatever gripes you have, like at least there's like a sense of fluidity to that. Well, the camera's like lower to the ground and it feels more yeah. um dynamic with the amount of people that are like kind of running around in the background and stuff where this it's like yeah. the camera's like doing drone shot moves across the room and it's like this is not this is not being operated by a human being. Yeah, they yeah. like actually have fun and play up those angles in so many. I mean, like I think of the manners maketh man scene, like all the time in the bar. Yes. Like that's fun. Like the camera moves in a very like fast, cool, actiony way where you feel like you are like part of the action itself. And here, yeah, you're just kind of like observing it. Um, there were times where like just overall the CGI in this film. I always think of the <laughs> the part in Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows part two where like Harry and Voldemort are like free falling and they're like morphing into each other. Like that's how I feel like looking at this. It just seems like <laughs> facial features just morph away. Like it does not look real whatsoever. It just looks so fake. Like I do not know. And we're not just talking about Henry Cavill's face. <laughs> no, I do not know who is allegedly ice skating on crude oil here if there is anybody even bothering to do that which it does not seem like there is anybody like a real human attempting to do any of that i could already see at some point when this movie is available digitally like that clip of that scene on her on skates is going to make its way like all around social media and people are going to be like this was a real movie that cost 200 million dollars people yes (laughs) yes yeah it's a thing where like Again, like respect for the crazy idea, but at a certain point, CGI is going to make this look worse. Yeah. You know, and like you can't accomplish that scene without CGI unless you actually have someone who can like do that kind of skating. And even then, they're going to have to be figure skating and also doing action fight choreography. Like it would look better, but how much of it could you actually shoot? on set i don't think very much actually every filmmaker needs to take notes from the re- the response that a movie like mission impossible or a john yeah. wick from last year like those movies uh, are receiving reactions from audiences that are far more in the positive because even though they do have a lot of visual effects work being done so much of what is captured is done in camera and made to look as realistic as humanly possible so that this way you as an audience member don't even know the difference anymore. Whereas something like this, I do feel like Matthew Vaughn is doing tricks with the camera 
that are deliberately like pulling us out of the movie in sort of a flashy, oh, look how cool this is. Look what we can do. Isn't this different and fun? No, it's not because if you do that too many times and you overplay your hand with those tricks, you then start to lose the audience. And what I mean by that is they no longer then are they're no longer engaged with the story itself anymore. They're too distracted by how much you are throwing at them. And I think the best example of this in this movie is the cat. The cat's not yes. real. Oh God. And you know what? We as an audience, and I complain about this all the time. I, I, I don't like animals being used as for audience manipulation, but it, it happens all the time. And here it's clearly supposed to be happening where, we're supposed to laugh at the cat. We're supposed to fear for the cat. We're supposed to care about uh, Bryce Dallas Howard because she has the cat. But how can you ever expect me to really be bought into that emotionally if that cat I know from the time I see him on screen all the way until the end, I know for a fact that that's not a real cat. Yeah, there was maybe one shot in the whole movie where the cat looked real. Maybe. If so, Dan, I have no idea where that shot is. It was the hotel when Rockwell was sitting and it like bites him. Yeah. Like that was like the only time it looked like there was a real cat. Well, and like the very first scene where she's with the cat and she's like holding it and puts it in its tree or whatever. But like every other time it just looked so obviously fake and there was one scene i remember where like i think Catherine o'hara was holding it and i'm like well you are obviously not holding that <laughs> like, <it's> just, I, <laughs> I do love how the further the film goes um the cat just like sinks into a deep depression in that backpack and like this cat is a stand-in for this audience like no energy no comments like not no 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 thoughts just vibes and the vibes are so low <laughs> i think the one part i enjoyed with the cat the most was the part where sam rockwell and bryce dallas howard have to jump off of a roof and sam rockwell's like don't worry we'll make it it's totally fine we'll land yeah. down below and there's all this cushion and padding and she's like i don't think we're gonna make it and then he just like grabs the cat drops the cat to prove to her see like he's fine and it happens in slow motion and they do a really funny shot of the cat's reaction to falling <laughs> and i was like okay this is the one time where it's like once again not a real cat yeah. but the animation of the cat like freaking out was pretty that was pretty amusing to me <laughs> and again, like if that had been the only cgi you used that would have been great I agree. They used all the CGI for the scene we have not talked about that I thought was incredibly painful. Uh, the color shootout. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, yeah, Jesus I was going to mention that. <laughs> I just triggered Talking about the, like, whole, like, it felt like it should be rated R. And, like, if any, if ever there was an action scene where they, like, we need to cover up the blood. And that it became it. very obvious that, that was it. And also, it's basically a retreat of the last battle from the first Kingsman movie. Yes, with the heads yeah. exploding. Like, yeah, which I liked, but was also like weirdly atonal with the rest of the film. And here it's like, look, I cackled when that Leona Lewis song started playing. Okay, <laughs> Like it, it's so dumb and over the top and I loved it. But again, it's just like the longer that scene went on, I was just like, we there get were, it. I'm there were so, like, so many long scenes in this yeah. film, like unnecessarily long action sequences where like literally after like three minutes, you're like, OK, let's finish it up now. Especially after they get onto the 
what turns out to be a boat. Yes. Like that whole third act is just like, oh, I oh, you're there's still more. I I thought we were done. Yeah, it's just unrelenting. <laughs> it really is. And God, that that big action scene at the end. You're right, Dan. It did make me feel like this is just a retread of the the Kingsman finale, only with so much less personality to it. It mm-hmm. those colored smokes it just looks like a a blobby mess in the movie and (laughs) i can't get invested in any of the action at that point it's just so poorly choreographed and this is supposed to be the big emotional moment too between these two characters but we don't really have we don't ever really buy into that relationship i don't think and so trying to construct this action sequence around this relationship was just just built on very poor foundation to begin with and the execution of it of what we're actually seeing is just disorganized and messy and i absolutely hated it yeah it's clearly meant to be like you know giddy fun like fluff and i will say that for me it was for about 10 seconds that scene lasts for well over two to three minutes how about the fact that Bryce Dallas Howard and Sam Rockwell are, or I think Sam Rockwell's rather telling her, this is our song for the Beatles now and then. Oh my God. Ugh. The AI Beatles song, they just used tech to bring like Lennon's vocals like a year ago or something to make. Yeah. And it's like, this has been our song for like years, forever. I know. I didn't know they're going to use that song. That, that decision came well after they shot this movie. Oh yeah. <laughs> 100%. It's like, they didn't even know what the song was. They're like, and yeah. this is our song. Cut. All right. Thanks. Next. Yeah, I can imagine that being like such a post-production like nightmare uh, of like, what song are we going to use for this moment? You know, we have to use it like three or four times in the movie. And, you know, because it's um, because it's Apple. And if I remember correctly, they were the ones that had that that Beatles documentary. Right. Yep. So oh, yeah. So right, yeah. it all it all makes sense. What if it was just I'm just Ken? That would have been a that would have been the needle drop. <laughs> needle drops to end all needle drops. But again, like that's one of those things where like clearly this movie, you know, like was frankly a waste of two hundred million dollars. But when I remember when we left that movie, I said like, well, Obviously, they spent that two hundred million on the soundtrack and not on the CGI. I mean, and also the actor's salaries. I imagine had to be a part of it. I mean, it is. you have John Cena and Oscar winner Ariana DeBose having a combined like maybe five minutes of screen time. That's a little I, too generous, honestly. I, it's I, more like again two minutes forty six seconds. Yeah. <laughs> I just think it's crazy that um, I remember a few months ago when uh, Killers of the Flower Moon came out, also with a huge price tag. Again, another Apple movie. This is another Apple one. They're just like throwing so much money at these films. And at the end of the day, they I what they said with Killers, like, yeah, we don't really care if we make the money back. I mean, we have all this money because of the Apple company in general. And it's just that's just insane to me that we are in this case making these super expensive movies that just look so bad and you consider how many other filmmakers can do so much with a fraction of that and it ends up being this beautifully shot thing like it's just it's irresponsible spending at this point i will never ever decry scorsese 
being given $200 million by Netflix or Apple to make the Irishman and Killers of no. the Flower Moon. I mean, at least Killers of the Flower Moon looks like it cost yeah. $200 million. Or you have Napoleon. Napoleon, too. But but also, let's be real. For, $45 million of that was Leonardo DiCaprio's sa- salary. Yeah, that, <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. crazy. And that's why I'm saying, like, that one, okay, I understand it is a huge oscar contender right now this not even close to being anywhere near that conversation and you know netflix in the past when they have greenlit projects of this magnitude with this kind of price tag they've used it as a way to say hey the studios aren't giving you these kinds of budgets they're not giving you this much leeway to make the movies that you want but we will and the reason why they're doing it is to attract more talent and more subscribers in the end, right? That's the whole end game here. Whereas Apple, I really do think that, yes, it is about attracting talent. Um, Maybe the subscription part to Apple TV is maybe a small part of that, but it's hard to say when they're also giving films robust theatrical releases. A part of me does think it is, why? Because we fucking can, that's why. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, like, no, I mean, like, like I said, it's Apple. Like, this is a billion plus dollar company. It's like, yeah, whatever. We got the cash. It's we're constantly earning a billion dollars every single day, as is. But then, when you have the end product be something like this, it, it, it I think it ends up proving the studios who are being more conservative with those budgets. It's kind of proving them right in a lot of cases. This is why you don't give certain filmmakers all the leeway in the world to go off and do whatever they want because this is what you get or like if you do then like you better have lots of quality control like on the script on set it's so disappointing because particularly apple i feel like they could be like what united artists was in like the 70s right like they just have all this money you could green light whatever the fuck you want because like they said like they don't care about making the money back they have billions and billions of dollars Mm -hmm. people are subscribed to apple tv plus anyway they're giving this stuff theatrical releases so people are they'll have other options to see it they could give money to whoever they want to make whatever they want and they decided for whatever reason to give that money to this movie and i'm just like Celine song could have made 20 movies for this much money. But you know what's also crazy too? This also I think speaks a lot to a growing divide that has been happening over the last couple of years between audiences and critics because while this movie I don't think is going to make 500 million dollars worldwide to recoup recoup back its budget, I have heard so many people despite the reactions and despite the reviews still saying, "Ah, oh, it's bad." Oh, that's a shame. You know what? I'm still going to go see it anyway. And that's exactly what they're hoping for. They are hoping that this movie is critic proof, that their marketing and the big names that are tied to it and the promise of a good time will lure people in, even though it gets terrible reviews. And as long as the audiences keep showing up and keep proving them right, they have no reason to ever change that model. Well, it got a C plus cinema score, so <laughs> I don't even know if the audience is really on the side of this movie yeah. right it's now. It's looking bad opening weekend for it too. So I don't, I, I, uh, you know, I mean, listen, I don't want to wish the downfall for any movie necessarily, but at the same time, it's like I would like for this to just be a, a, a bit of a, you know, of a, of a warning sign that 
putting movies like this or even movies that didn't get theatrical releases like this, like Red Notice, uh, as I mentioned earlier, like I don't think that this is what today's cinema going audience is clamoring for. Any like this is just this is not it. There maybe there was a time, early two thousands maybe a film like this could have done better, but I don't think in the early twenty twenties or mid twenty twenties now in this case like I just don't think that this is the the I don't think this is the appetite of of the audience anymore. Well, I think the other problem that I have with just the overall execution with this film is that it does feel like it's stuck between this mode of being overly or overly silly like it is a spoof but then it will snap back to these kind of dramatic moments that to be fair i think the actors do a decent job of selling like i think when we get moments where we see bryce dallas howard in in peril and she genuinely looks terrified like i think she does a really good job at, at selling that and i think you know i'm a huge sam rockwell fan i think he brings a lot of natural charisma to this role that there's not much there on the page but i think he does a good enough job to try to sell it to you but the the tone of this movie just doesn't really pick a correct lane in my opinion and so it just feels like we're getting whiplash back and forth in terms of how serious we're supposed to take this and i would even say that the twist is also a part of that because it the way that they deploy the twist makes it so that parts of this movie just do not make any sense unless you have that information. And I find that to be very frustrating when you're first watching it. And, and then when you get that information, it's like, it doesn't really make the movie all that much better. It just makes it make more sense, but there's nothing about it that improves the watching experience. In my opinion, I remember a lot in how the first Kingsman film, Samuel L. Jackson was clearly hamming up that performance and having a fun time playing that villainous role. Here, you've got an actor of the caliber of Brian Cranston, who is playing it, in my opinion, completely straight and wanting to come off as being menacing. And it's something that I do feel, once again, to your point, Josh, it's like this film wants me to take it seriously in terms of its stakes where everything else is so ridiculous and so over the top, would it, would it have been so hard? Probably not to have someone like Brian Cranston uh, play that character in a more comedic manner. Like he, he's he's going like full Heisenberg when he could have been doing uh, Malcolm in the Middle, <laughs> you know? Or have it be Catherine O'Hara, who for very brief moments, I feel like does get the absurdity that she's working with. Like that moment when she pulls out the gun and then starts speaking with a British accent. Like I admit admit, (laughs) that that got me because like, that's, that's the absurdity and the craziness that I would have liked more of. And you know, that Catherine O'Hara can bring it. And it's like, have her be the main villain. I would much rather have that kind of persona and energy in this role than, as you said, Matt, as opposed to Cranston, who's just kind of playing it very straight. And because of that, just more more bland and boring. There are so many moments in this movie on both his side and also on Bryce Dallas Howard's, uh, Howard's side where I'm like, you've had so many opportunities to kill the other person and you, you have not taken it. Why? Like, I remember that scene uh, with him and um, Catherine O'Hara, like in the hotel room with her. There's a moment where, or maybe it's not that scene, I'm sorry, but there is a moment where Bryce Dallas Howard, like, knocks him out and just, like, runs away. And I was like, why are you not killing this this guy? He would he would have clearly have tried to kill you. 
And then I was thinking about like the whole amnesia storyline and how they pose as her parents all these years when they're really not. I'm like, why didn't you just kill her? <laughs> like, this is so ridiculous. Well, they're trying to get that information out of her. They're hoping that, I mean, it's such convoluted It's so logic. dumb. The fact that we have to explain this right now, like, well, actually, they still need her for this. And yeah, that. so they waited like, five oh years for her to become a best-selling author. This was all part of the plan. She needed to believe she was an ice skating queen and then became an author and then sold those books. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing that really gets me about, like, the whole, like, plot logic like okay she has amnesia fine the books are like mirroring events in the spy world fine but they're mirroring events that happened five years ago like oh it's it's so dumb (laughs) or how about the scene where like they are um in london and sam rockwell's like how would you write this like so that you could give me the next clue on where to go? And she's like, I need time. I need to do research. I need an outline. And she gives like all these excuses. And then he's like, no, no, no. Like you could do this. Like come up with it now. And she does. And it works. And I'm like, this is I, I, I can't buy into this because she's accessing her spy brain as opposed to her, you know, amnesiac brain, I guess. Like I get that. Like kind of. I, I don't. But again, it's just like the film just like they can't decide if it wants to be a spoof or serious at a certain point. And it really needed to, if it wanted to work fully and it just doesn't. Exactly. Like, like I, I'm not against this movie being very silly like yeah. that, Like, but if it committed to it and that, if that was the tone all the way through, then I would be fine. But it feels like it wants to do it. But then once we get to a point where like, we reach the finale, it just wants to be a rather not serious, but more generic conventional like yeah. spy movie at that point. And that's just nowhere near as interesting as like the very silly logic that they were indulging with before with like, yes, it's not believable at all, but at least it would have been more unique to go with. Yeah. I mean, like call out the fact that spy movies and novels are just so overloaded with twists and stupid coincidences and like illogic, you know, call that out because you seem like you're going to do that in the first reel of the film. And then you get to the actual stuff and you want us to take those bits of the story seriously. It, it, I, I don't know what you want. Although I will say like, I do think that Brian Cranston is being, it's not being quite so bland or one note as, as you guys think. I think that that first scene when it's revealed that he's her dad, I think he's very over the top and, in a in a fun no, way. No, in that scene, yes, but like all the scene with like like where he shoots his henchmen for failing him. Uh, well, Come on. I mean, yeah, yeah Rob Delaney in the, in the face. <laughs> that was, that was just random. Um, but also, like, I'm sorry, like, if you have a script that is supposed to be funny, and you get Catherine O'Hara, and she can't get a laugh out of your laugh lines, you have not written funny line. I'm sorry. I will say one of the funniest things in the movie that got actually a genuine laugh out of me is when Catherine O'Hara comes back after, like, you presume she's dead. And it just goes to a cut of, like, a jump zoom of her, like, pulling out the Kevlar vest after she got shot. And the way they edited it to it was actually very funny. But, like, other than that and some line reading she had, I was just like, okay, 
especially the ending where it's just like that fight sequence where it just it just there's so much nonsense where i don't get really bogged down by like implausibility sure because you know movies okay Mm -hmm. but like after the first time when like sam rockwell's fighting amnesia brained uh bryce dallas howard because she's doing the get out like winter soldier thing to her Mm -hmm. uh catherine o'hara and as soon as she snaps out and he realizes it i would have just been like cover your ears like cover your ears and then instead he's like no i'm gonna proceed to get my ass kicked again and then another logic moment that it just the one that really was like okay this is dumb is you can tell this whole scenario for the uh, the ice skating sequence is put in there so you can have a cool action ice skating scene. So, like, the oil comes out, and they're literally like, oh, don't shoot, don't shoot. So, in my mind, I was like, I guess, you know, flammability. Maybe it's, like, gasoline where if you fire a gun next to it, like, the fumes, boom, whatever. Clearly not, because the goons shoot at the end. So, <laughs> why isn't Bryce Dallas Howard shooting every single person as they're, like, walking up with no guns they like drop all their guns and they come with knives after she bragged for like 10 minutes about well you see i shot you through a two inch stem through your heart where it can go through perfectly and not hurt you i was like you're like dead shot here you're like the most perfect like shot in the world and you can't do that your problem would have been like all right next where are we going oh also too when it when the knives at the bottom of the skates have created a spark which would have ignited the oil. And my... I, uh, but she had to shoot them all anyway at the end. So yeah, like, exactly. Yeah, that's what I don't it's get. Just, just shoot them. Dumb. And again, like with that, I'm sorry that that last fight scene with the with the freaking music box. Like we've already at this point had two extended action sequences back to back. You're in the last act of the movie. That scene, you you know that she's not going to kill him and that she's going to snap out of it and Catherine O'Hara is going to get sent to, you know, villain hell. You know that that is what's going to happen. Why on earth that scene has to be so long? It was very long. They draw it out so much. And I'm just like, oh my God, just finish. And then uh, it gets, you know, interrupted by Ariana DeBose, who... I, I think if you guys and, you know, from what I can tell, everybody has seen the trailer for this movie multiple times. We all know the shot of them on the boat at the end. Yeah. And so I knew that she had to come back somehow because I'm like, OK, we haven't seen that shot yet. Oh, no, Matt, you know how I knew she was going to come back when they said, hey, I got this email about yes. the crazy fan theory. It is so obvious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Me, I looked at Dan. I was like. Oh, that's got to be Ariana DeBose. Yeah, Dan of was like, there's just no way. <laughs> that's funny also because in that whole sequence at the end before like Catherine O'Hara gets knocked out and everything and it's just them on the boat, I looked at Dan I was like, there's two Academy Award winners right here in this scene right now. I, I will say this. I like the callback to the uh, the twist of the stomp. Oh, that. Yeah, you know, where she's about to do it to Rockwell. And it was something that he like, you know, taught her earlier in the film. I'm grasping at straws here, people, for positives. Okay, I'm trying. (laughs) We'll always have our twist and stomp, which you can crush skulls with. We'll always have Paris. (laughs) Oh, the twist and stomp works every time. That's how you capture a girl's heart. We don't want we don't want to hear I love you. We want to hear twist and stomp. Those are the three words. Once again, (laughs) this movie is just so nonchalant about let's murder people. (laughs) We're the good guys. 
but we're going to just, you know, instead of knocking them out, like, you know, that man would do or something like that. No, we're, we're, we're going to, we're, we're going to smash their heads in. <laughs> I will say though, that I do think that that scene, that set piece that precedes that moment when they're in the, the apartment actually probably is my favorite of the entire film, just in terms of the execution. And when I think about it, I think it's because it's the one that seems like it's mostly reliant on real people in a real location. Yes. You know, everything else is so is just blanketed by these CGI backdrops and just feels so weightless and fake. But I think that's the one scene where it just does seem like there are real people fighting each other and maybe, I don't know, maybe real explosions. I'm not sure, but it, it just, the physicality looks so much more grounded than any other set piece in this film. Yeah. I prefer the, the train sequence just because it's funnier. Yeah. But I think that's the best shot action in the movie is that scene in the apartment. Yeah. Yeah. I like the train sequence mostly for the comedy, uh, Sam Rockwell owning it. And, uh, like I said, the little, the cute little editing trick, between him and Henry Cavill. See, I did not like that that editing trick. To be honest Ooh. with you, I found that to be very distracting. And I, uh, yeah, I and then once you find out why it was happening, it's like okay, then I, I get it. But I feel like the first go around, I really wasn't that into it. I would have preferred to just stay with Sam Rockwell and and see that you know those fighting sequences. And then once I got the information as to why it was happening, it just. It's like, okay, now I understand the context, but it, it's still not interesting to me personally. Oh, no. Retroactively, from a story standpoint, I agree with you. I think for me, it was just more of it was a clever way to hide Sam Rockwell's limitations because anytime they would have him go to do something that clearly <laughs> he couldn't do, it would then cut to Henry Cavill and shot from an angle where it's like, okay, that's clearly Henry Cavill doing this stunt. And then it would go back to a shot of Sam Rockwell. And for me, it was just like a seamless blend of me not ever having to go, uh, well, that's not Sam Rockwell, you know? Well, it was also to establish like the kind of comedic juxtaposition of this is the kind of the difference between yeah. movie spy, you know, fantasy spy and like what a real spy would be like. Yeah. And like, I get that. It also is the kind of rather juvenile jabs that Matthew Vaughn will always give to the Bond franchise that – at a certain point, I'm like, okay, I get it, dude. You want to direct a Bond movie, but they won't let you. Like, <laughs> I mean, we can move on from this, please. Also, too, I got to uh, bring this up because we haven't mentioned him yet. Samuel L. Jackson shows up, what, an hour and a half into this movie? Oh, my God. Yeah. He has the easiest job in this film. He is literally watching a Lakers game for, yeah. like, <laughs> yeah. most of the time. And I'm like, you just had this. You cannot. Bye. <laughs> you cannot convince me he is not just playing himself in this movie. Like that character is Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah. Whatever name they gave him, no, it, it's Samuel L. Jackson, the actor. It's just him. He is the head of the Slim Secret Spy Organization. Like that's just it's, it's so so silly. I didn't even know what file they were even like trying to get him by the end because the, the plot had just lost me so much by that point. It's literally the knock list for Mission Impossible. That's all it is. <laughs> Like, yeah, I, I just like by that time, I just didn't care anymore. And when I saw that they weren't even attempting or he wasn't even attempting to, like, make this a character other than his own personality, I was like, OK, like, once again, like, why should I care about this? And and then, and then he doesn't do anything the whole movie. Like, like he serves no purpose for the plot of this movie whatsoever. It was just an excuse to have Samuel L. Jackson be in the movie. That's it. To put his name on a poster that that was it. Yep. Bruce Martin, host of Pit Pass Indy. 
Each week, I go behind the scenes of the NTT IndyCar Series and introduce our listeners to the biggest stars of IndyCar, which features the Indianapolis 500 as its cornerstone event. The men and women that compete in IndyCar may be the bravest athletes in all of sport as danger lurks around every corner. They are able to look danger in the eye without flinching. That is why the NTT IndyCar Series features the best racing on the planet. Join me every week as we talk to the stars of IndyCar, including the legends of the Indianapolis 500 on Pit Pass Indy from Evergreen Podcast. All right, final thoughts on Argyle. Going over first to Emma Sasek. Well, um, I also mentioned this before we started recording, but wow, I did not expect this film to have three, four different crotch spinning dance sequences. <laughs> um, I just want to know why that is like the hottest dance to do in this film slash in any space. I mean, imagine doing this <laughs> in that palace where they do do it at at one point uh, it's like, you know you know like in um rrr where he lifts him up on his shoulders and he <laughs> makes him feel yeah. so weightless doing it that's what those yeah. moments felt like to me i'm like there is no struggle it doesn't even look like the person is like no. heavy or imbalanced of any way it just looks completely fake and silly and then they have the shot of the, the POV shot that. yeah that I, I hate it so much it was like i don't want to see this view <laughs> at all <laughs> that that was i will say that is the one like like sort of overused thing in the movie that always worked for me every time it did that that, that pov <laughs> shot i was God. just like this is so ridiculous it's so over the top and obviously bad it worked on me every time <laughs> <laughs> i mean because it does happen like i said like three or four times yeah. and it's like like my god yeah i i just couldn't understand why they kept going back to it over and over it wasn't funny the first time <laughs> it wasn't good the first time oh it's yeah. funny Jesus. it's just not in the i don't know intended <laughs> And then I guess, you know, as we've been talking and like I've been thinking back to the Kingsman movies, I suppose I do enjoy them because they have, you know, they really go for the violence and they go for the the gore and just these ridiculous scenes. I mean, like exploding heads like that is just right. just so wild. And yeah, I mean, I, I did miss that with this film that would have helped it play up more of that spoofy comedy vibe that it was so desperately trying to go for and instead it just yeah it just it loses that throughout the film and it loses those um like editing tricks that we were talking about where she is writing out the film or excuse me the book as the film goes on and those were kind of fun and cheeky and and then later on, they lose actually having humans do these stunts and big pieces. And so it just seemed like the further this film went on, it just didn't necessarily know what it wanted to do with itself. So that was disappointing. But again, I mean, I was not counting Argyle being my number one movie of 2024 <laughs> by a long shot. So um, so at least they all got a paycheck i'm happy for them for that <laughs> yeah that's true you know i i just listening to you say all that emma something else that's like just coming to my mind because i can already hear some people listening to us and thinking well when it comes to the violence in this movie or the lack thereof like 
are we saying that including violence just makes it better in general? And, you know, I'm, I'm thinking right. about examples like you, you said Kingsman. I'm also thinking of John Wick mm. um, and how John Wick is an R-rated film. And even though he's shooting a lot of people or knifing a lot of people, the, the movie is not as bloody as some people think it is. But I think what it really comes down to why it works there or why it even works in Kingsman versus why it doesn't work here is not because of the inclusion of violence. It's because there is a consistency with tone and there is a uh, stronger story. Yeah. All, all like all together. Like we're more into the characters and the story. And when you are like sucked in in that way, there's a lot you can forgive. And those sequences are also choreographed really, really well, too. And you have that human element of people are doing this, people are designing this and then executing it versus whatever morph program that they're using on their computer, which like makes these faces look so weird and look every make everything look so ugly. Um, it's just another one of those things that I think like helps up up the moment and the intensity and the the just the overall vibe of the film that it's going for. Yeah. I mean, compare this to like the beekeeper that came out a couple of weeks ago. Argyle is quote unquote more fun to watch than the beekeeper, but that's an R rated. <laughs> that's an R rated movie that like takes its violence very seriously and it works even when the violence is like fun because it all feels like part of the same world and the same story and the same tone. It's more successful at creating an atmosphere for itself than this is because this keeps going back and forth between being a spoof and an actual spy movie. And it, it you can't split that difference. You have to pick one or the other. All right. Anything else, Emma? Nope. That's it. All right. Giovanni Lago. The crotch shots, everything is just the costume. I okay, the costuming. We I need to talk about this because eventually it's not really stated where like the design from Argyle, the character, is something that she just came up with, or like they actually wear that in field operations. So like at the end, there's a sequence where they're going to get the device, whatever the the MacGuffin of the movie. And she's dressed, Bryce Dallas Howard is dressed as Duas Lipa's character, and Sam Rockwell is dressed as the Henry Cavill Argyle uh, fictional character. And it does not look good <laughs> at all. It, it, for a movie that that moment in time is trying to be serious, especially with another plot twist about like Bryce Dallas Howard, quote unquote, being like a double agent. And then not really, but kind of, it never is really that delved into besides just being like ooh a shock it did not look good i i was just baffled i was like wow i don't i don't know how they're rocking these haircuts but like they're doing their best i'm trying to think of what other aspect of this movie we have not met oh am i crazy or the person who is with the device that gives it to, is that sophia butella from uh um what's it called yeah, yeah it's her, her. yeah yeah <laughs> the, the scar giver I was literally like, the scar giver is here. Wow. And, and it's wild that, like, there's these random, like, smaller cameos, like Rob Delay mentioned earlier. But, like, for the, the actual quote-unquote twist of who the real Agent Argyle is, that wasn't 
a thing. Also, like, what the hell was Richard E. Grant doing in this? Oh, yeah. Yes. I, I visibly. How like, did I forget about that? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Because he's only in the one scene. I literally looked what? at you two when it happened. I was like, um, who is going to tell me this? It, yeah, it was one of those like Richard E. Grant is in this movie. <laughs> yeah, had no idea. And it's just so many missed opportunities. I think the ending, that end credit scene. Actually, no, no. The ending itself with Henry Cavill comes in and he's doing Texas action and he's got like what looks like dip in his mouth and he's got this mangy mullet and it's implying that he is a real spy, maybe like a real Argyle. We don't know. Setting up a sequel. And then there's the end credit scene that is setting up a prequel and be like, oh, well, this is the real Argyle movie that is actually going to come out. And then just for like the trades to be like, it's going to be a TV show. It's just like, what is happening? I just find that the most cynical and pathetic way to like, just setting, counting your chickens before they hatch, you know? And I think they very much did that. And it just, it ages badly. God, I hated that like that uh reveal of we're gonna do a prequel to of this fictional character with yeah. a fictional world yeah. that's yeah. connected back to another movie like what the, the nesting doll storytelling that's happening <laughs> in this film is nowhere near as interesting for me to really be invested in it and it just makes me so much more annoyed i mean nothing will ever top the the king's man post-credit scene where they oh use that's so Hitler. cool though <laughs> it's so yeah it's so, so stupid it's awesome that would be great that's awesome like that's <laughs> so stupid yeah. that it's wonderful but this was just Stupid. This, this <laughs> one was like Matthew Vaughn, give it a rest. We yeah. need we don't need like 15 more Kingsman films. And this is coming from someone who has mainly enjoyed all of them. I don't need it anymore. And that's what I meant earlier when I said like he reaches like a whole new level of pretentiousness, I feel like here, where it's like, dude, you really are overestimating how much love there actually is for this franchise out there. Like we like it. It's fine, but you're giving us too much homework at this point. And this movie wasn't even that good to warrant it. Now. I I just, you know, you mentioned earlier that maybe he's just salty. He never got to direct bond and he's just trying to create like his own bond, like universe. I kind of feel like that that is exactly spot on what is happening here. (laughs) It just exudes the energy of like when you saw Lightyear and before it's like, this is the movie about a toy that the guy saw the movie and it's like, wow. And the toy. And it's just like, what are we doing? Like, come on. But yeah, no bad movie. Argyle. No, no bueno. Beekeeper, uh, protect the hive. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Dan Bear. I just want to say that, like, the second Henry Cavill came on screen in that last scene and unleashed that ridiculous accent, I I had flashbacks to the Golden Circle, and I was like, please, (laughs) God, no, do not tell me we are somehow connecting this to Kingsman. And then the post-credits scene happened, and I was like... I I cried. Look, this movie... (laughs) I don't even know what to say anymore. I mean, Dan, you were with me, and you probably heard at one point or another, I dozed off during this movie for, like, a split second. Yeah, I did. (laughs) And it was, like, the midway point in the movie where it was, like, nothing's happening anymore. There's so much exposition. 
And I, I, I mean, granted, I want to be very clear. I didn't like fall asleep for a few minutes. Okay. I li- just nodded my head and then I like yeah. came out of it like literally a second later. But that's how bad this was. Like this wasn't even like holding my interest, you know, for me to stay awake through it. Oh, I mean, I did stay awake. You know what I mean? I was, yeah. I was just out of it. And I, if that doesn't, I think, like encapsulate just how poorly misguided this movie is i don't know what will and you know i I do want to just say too for the record that matthew vaughn like the first half of the guy's career there's some really exciting and fun stuff in there matthew vaughn is so frustrating to me as a filmmaker because like like so back and forth on him like layer cake is really fun i think stardust is so much fun i have watched stardust too many times yeah but like it's it's just very fun i even enjoyed kick-ass yeah when it came out i have not watched it since but i enjoyed it when it came out and x-men first class like is a movie that i'm like kind of half and half on but i think it's good and then we get to the kingsman movies where like the first one is okay the second one is terrible and the third one i really liked then we get to argyle and i'm like i don't who are you as a filmmaker <laughs> like how do you go how do your films vary so wildly in quality and i just <sighs> I'm very I'm very frustrated with him as a filmmaker because he's shown that he has the goods. He can make these really smart, entertaining blends of action, adventure, and comedy. But it seems like, especially recently, he's gotten so into CGI at the expense of everything else that makes good action movies like one of the things that i really liked about the king's man is that it was a lot of like hand-to-hand combat so it felt like people were actually fighting as opposed to being all cgi and because of that it worked like whether or not you believe it was actually ray fines doing all the fighting it works because you see people actually going at it and you get these big grand action sequences in argyle that i get it like i get the version of this where those are fun sequences that leave people excited and applauding in the theater for how audacious and brilliant and cool it is i get that but that is not what is on screen in this movie at all and like the fact that in the big like in that smoke bomb fight like through most of it uh, Bryce Dallas Howard and Sim Rockwell's faces are obscured by these giant masks, and it is just so obvious that it's not really them underneath all these costumes. It takes me right out of the movie, and I'm really sorry to all of the, like, can't you just have fun at a movie, people? Like, believe me, I would love to just go to a movie and enjoy myself and have fun (laughs) and turn my brain off and like not think about all the you know critical things but a that's kind of my job to be a critic and not turn my brain off and and b i can do that in some movies 
But here, it just doesn't work because even if you turn your brain off and try to enjoy it, it just doesn't want to rest on being fun. It insists on shouting at you that it is fun and assuming that because of the volume of which it is shouting at you that it's fun, that you will have fun. And that's not how having fun works. All right. Let's hear next now from Josh Parm. I think the only other thing that I would mention at the end here is that I am very convinced that Sam Rockwell must have it in his contract that he needs to dance, which I'm not complaining (laughs) too much because Sam Rockwell is a fantastic dancer, but it is reaching the point of like, like Tom Cruise running in his movies that this just (laughs) needs to happen now, which as I said, not complaining that much because I love Sam Rockwell and his dancing, but it does sort of feel like whether necessary to the plot or not, we're going to get some sequence where he's going to show off his moves. (laughs) I mean, all well and good. You still can't convince me that Sam Rockwell can lift Bryce Dallas Howard in the air like that. Oh no, certainly not. But like there's smaller moments where he's just like, deciding to dance and just show off some moves. It's like, I don't know if this is really necessary. This feels more like Sam Rockwell just wants to dance right now. And we're going to indulge this. All right. Anything else? Uh, no, not, (laughs) not particularly this movie. I think this movie is sort of fine in the moment, but the more you think about it, the more the deficiencies of the storytelling really rear their head. And it does become very unsatisfying when you kind of think about it more and more, which is, is unfortunate. I think it had potential to be really fun and silly, but it doesn't commit to it enough to, to really sustain that momentum. All right. I don't want to beat a dead horse here. We pretty much said everything that I want to say. So I am going to give this movie actually an even lower grade than what I came in prepared to give it. I'm actually giving it a two out of 10. It, pretty much represents nearly everything I hate about modern blockbuster filmmaking today. And I wish I could say I had fun with it. I did for the first 15, 20 minutes or so. And I will say, I think Sam Rockwell and Bryce Dallas Howard do literally everything they possibly can. But at a certain point, the screenplay is just asking them to do things that even people of their talent, like just can't make this material work. So that's where I'm at. Emma, how about you? I initially gave this movie um, four out of 10, but after reliving the trauma of this film, I am (laughs) putting it down to three out of 10. Okay. Gio? I'm at a two. Dan? You know, the review on the site says five out of 10. And I did that mostly because I just think the cast is fun enough that it kind of works for some of the movie. And But I think that was far being far too generous. The further away I've gotten from this movie and the more we've talked about it, it, it just... <sighs> no. And I, I'm at a... 3 out of 10 now. Again, the half-life of the entertainment value of this movie is just like really, really short. Josh? I'm going to land at a 4 out of 10. Like, to me, anything that dips below that is something that I absolutely hated. And while I don't think it's a good movie, I don't know if it ever got to the point of me actively 
like thinking that it was you know, vile or anything. I, I don't think it's good. I think it has some passable moments that are fine, especially with some of the performers, but it, it does not have a great staying power. And I ultimately just feel like it's very disposable. It's not that great. It, it's, it doesn't attack my senses as much for me to actively hate it, but I don't really care for it either. And as you all can probably guess, no Oscar potential for Argyle. No, what? No, no. <laughs> what? Oh my God. <laughs> In fact, who would have thought? Hasn't uh, Matthew Vaughn, his entire filmography, he's never had an Oscar nomination to any of his films, right? I don't think so. I don't believe so. And I just want everybody to know that I looked on his IMDb page and he allegedly has two Kingsman films in pre-production as we speak. What? Oh my God. Yes. And both of them are with, uh, actually one of them is with Taryn. The other one stars somebody who plays Adolf Hitler. So that's something to look forward to. Oh, that one is happening. Oh, yeah. Well, they're the, still doing that. The okay. They are, really are committing to it. <laughs> and that is one of those things where like, I know, like, the Kingsman movies are, like, kind of popular, but I never thought that they were big enough to, like, warrant a whole-ass franchise. Yeah, like, like five films at yeah. the moment, and then, I don't know, maybe whatever the end credits here set up, it seems like maybe a six and seven. <laughs> yeah, well, the Academy's not calling upon any of those films anytime soon, I don't think, for a nomination anywhere, so... That pretty much ends that discussion. All right, Emma Sasek, tell everyone that's listening right now where they can find you on the internet. You can find the real Emma Sasek on Twitter at Emma underscore Sasek and Letterboxd and Instagram at Emma Sasek. I have to give you props. That was good. <laughs> Giovanni Lago, where can they find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at the Giovanni Lago. Oh my god, is there like a reoccurring trend here? V as in V real Giovanni Lago? Gio? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, Josh Parham uh, you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at J.R. Parham I promise you it's real as well and Dan Bayer you can find the real Dan Bayer on Twitter at Dance and Dan on film on Letterboxd and post at Dance and Dan and you can find the fake Matt Neglia at Next Best Picture everywhere <laughs> Thank you all so much for listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you'll get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you all so much for listening, as always, and we will see you all next time.
I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. Alright, you think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? I've never done it. (laughs) Right.